Any views or opinions expressed on KUR are not necessarily those of Kutztown University, Kutztown University Student Government, Kutztown University Student Services Incorporated, KUR staff and management or other affiliated organizations. This week on KUR True Crime, we're exploring a mystery that has remained unsolved for more than 60 years until recently. Welcome back to KUR True Crime once again. I am your usual host, James. I am once again joined by Linda. Hi. Hello. Hi. Got How your mic you? on this time. That's good. Good first <laughs> up. <laughs> um, if you don't know the drill by now, I've picked out a fun little case. Um, I'm going to tell Linda and you all about it. We're um, going to yeah. unpack it together. We'll talk about it together. I'll take my little notes. Yeah, Linda will take her notes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see by the end of it. If we have a full notebook, are you ready? I'm so ready. Okay. I'm stuck. So, we will start by introducing our first main character, Frederick Bononis. On February 23rd, 1957, he is a junior at LaSalle College in Philadelphia. He is driving through the city. He pulls his car over on Susquehanna Road next to a vacant lot. Here, he climbs out of the car. He makes his way through this vacant, abandoned gravel lot. There are um, varying explanations for why he <laughs> why he gets out of his car and that, goes into this lot. That, that was going to be my next question. Yeah. Every source has a different explanation. If you just Google it, what comes up is that he was, he almost hit a rabbit while driving, and so he gets out of his car to chase the rabbit. I have a hard time believing <laughs> <laughs> that a college student would almost hit a rabbit and then get out of their car to chase it. Yeah, especially not one that's 20, 21 years old. Like, dude, I just can't see it. Like, maybe if they were, like, 16 and they were scared that they just hit an animal, but this is, like, a grown adult. They're just gonna, you know. Right. I don't think they're gonna chase him. No. I don't think so. Into a vacant lot at that. Yeah. Another popular explanation is that the Good Shepherd Home, a Catholic boarding school for girls, was positioned on the other side of this lot. So our buddy Freddy was trying to spy on the girls through their windows. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Either way, doesn't really matter. Uh, Frederick here is our first main character, but he's merely our vessel to our case, right? He's merely our, our transportation to where we're really going, right? Interesting. Doesn't matter why he was really in this lot, either way, he finds something he was not expecting in this vacant lot. Dumped in bushes was a large cardboard box. For a bassinet from J.C. Penny, <laughs> and inside the box was not a bassinet. Instead, he found the body of a young boy, and he only sees the boy's head at first, um, pretty much. 
he can see the rest of the body, but, you know. But the boy is naked, he's exposed to the cold weather, and he's only covered partially by a cheap flannel blanket. So, Freddy here, our guy Freddy, he doesn't get too close. He doesn't inspect anything. He sees the boy's head, and initially he thinks it's just a doll. Like a really good, lifelike doll, I guess. You know? Yeah, because those are just placed in bushes all the time. Yeah. 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 I don't know, maybe someone was done with it, you know? Right. Their kid didn't want it anymore. I can see that. But he realizes it's a real child. He runs away. And he's freaking out. He's scared. He doesn't know what to do. He does not report it to police. What? (laughs) What? (laughs) He goes home and he's like, man, that was crazy. (laughs) He's just like, wow, what a wild Tuesday. That's crazy. Wow. Again, varying stories. Some say that he realized right then that it was a real kid. And that he just was freaking out and didn't tell police. Some say that he still thought it was a doll when he left. So, you know. So how did it get reported? Well, the next day, this is probably... There are also various stories for this, which... Love this. You know, the web of stories. Oh, yes. Um, But this is probably where the rabbit story comes from, where he's chasing the rabbit. Because when he does tell the police what he saw he claims he was in the lot because he was chasing a rabbit so he's freaked out he's like i found a body i'm the first person to find this body who are they gonna look at as a suspect first me so he's he also if it's true that he was looking in these girls windows he doesn't want to tell police. No. That's why he's there. No. So he's going to say he chased around. Yeah, okay, that makes right. sense. So, okay. yeah. Like I said, there are different stories for why he told police. Um, some stories say that he confessed what he found to a priest. And the priest convinced him to go to the police and tell them. Other stories say he thought the body was just a doll until he heard about a missing child from New Jersey, and he decided to tell someone what he saw. This missing New Jersey child was later proven not to be this boy, by the way. So he did eventually report it? Yes, the next day. Okay. Um, so, police come to this lot the next day. They find the box... It is open at one end. The boy's body is pale white. He's visibly battered. In 2007, Elmer Palmer, one of the first officers on the scene that day, said in an interview that it was, quote, something you don't forget. This one was the one that bothered everybody, end quote. So, um, less than 20 feet from the box was a man's blue hat, like a cap, with a distinct leather strap and buckle on the back. A path had been created when someone walked through the brush directly from the box to the hat. So whether or not that's a coincidence that there's a, you know, basically footprints directly from the box to this hat. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if that's a coincidence. It's, it's a, a little... Pretty big coincidence. Pretty big. Philadelphia's chief medical examiner at the time was J- Dr. Joseph Spellman. 
when the body is brought to him, he determines that the child was between four and six years old. He had blue eyes and blonde hair, but his hair had recently been badly and unevenly cut, clearly in a rush. It was believed that he previously had long hair. Pieces of this hair were stuck to his body when he was found. He stood only at 3.4 feet tall and weighed only 30 pounds. This is the height and weight of a two-year-old. And he was between four and six years old. And x-rays show signs of arrested growth. Even though he was clearly very malnourished, neglected at the time of his death, Spellman determines that his cause of death is a brutal beating, um, especially blows to the head. Along with the fresh bruises on his face and body, there was an L-shaped scar on his chin, a small surgical scar on his chest, an oddly shaped circular scar on his elbow, an almost healed scar on his groin determined to be from hernia surgery, and a scar on the left ankle thought to have been from a blood transfusion. The boy has no vaccination marks, which is thought to suggest that he did not attend public school because he wasn't vaccinated. So, there are more unusual discoveries, believe it or not, during the autopsy. The boy's right palm and the soles of his feet were rough and wrinkled, pruny, some have said, suggesting that he had been underwater, submerged underwater, either right before or after his death. Was drowning at all part of like his death at all? Like, was, do they find? Him? Um, it didn't say, so I guess not. But okay. they determined cause of death is right, blows the to the head, not drowning. Like, yeah, Waterboard type situation. No, that's okay. just like a weird. I mean, maybe he did get, you know, like held under or something. Yeah, else, but on purpose. But that's awful. that wasn't the cause of death. It was right. just. Um, under ultraviolet light, his left eye glowed blue. What? What? This is most likely the result of exposure to dye that was usually used to treat something like an eye infection at the time. So, the medical deter- the medical examiner determines that the death could have happened days or weeks before the body was found. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's no food in the system for them to tell that. Mm, I get it wasn't important enough to put in the report. Yes. Yeah. Isn't that usually how they like do like the whole timeline of when somebody dies is like the last thing they ate and there's nothing they can tell how long ago it was. I by how deep like decongested, digested, <laughs> and like you know, broken down it is. You know, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a chief medical examiner. That's fair. However, I'm sure that's part of the process. I'm pretty sure. It well. sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> okay. So. Not essential in this case. No. No. <laughs> Although Spellman, this chief medical examiner, determines that the cause of death is blunt force trauma to the head, He was also suspicious that there could have been damage caused by pressure to the head. It was believed by some investigators that this could mean someone squeezed the boy's head too hard while giving him the bad haircut. Following this revelation, a Philadelphia barber comes to the police. 
to report that he believed this boy found was a boy he had given a haircut to about a week before he was found. So the barber claims that the boy had come in with an older brother, and after the normal haircut, the boy left unharmed. This barber tells police that the boy lived near Fairmount Park in an upscale part of town. This lead comes to nothing. So whether the barber is lying and he's, I don't know, giving a fake tip for attention. Why lie though? And people do that. I don't know. Yeah, but it's not going to get him any, like, promotion for his business or anything, you know? Like, I just don't, I don't get why anyone would lie about a tip like that. Maybe he's hoping to hang up a sign outside of his barber shop that says, uh, child found dead, but a week before I cut his hair. <laughs> oh, that's a real, you know, it's a real plaque I think people want hanging up on their walls. Yeah, he's like, hey, you know that kid that's, like, this big media sensation now? Because he was brutally tortured and murdered. Yeah, I gave him his haircut. Yeah, the week before that. I cut his hair. <laughs> I promise, though, it looked better than the oh, one yeah. he was found with. <laughs> That's the other thing too. The haircut they found him with is not <laughs> not okay. So to even claim that it was like mm-hmm. that he had him there, I don't think he would be lying. How thoroughly did they check around this like park thing? Or maybe he was wrong about the area. Maybe. Or maybe I mean, they lied about the area they were from. I don't know. They looked into it and they determined there wasn't enough for it to be like a substantial lead. That's fair. They could have just lied. They could have easily, like, the older brother, could have just lied about what the area they were from. Yeah. But in an attempt to make the boy more recognizable, investigators dressed him up and photographed him. Um, and they were hoping they'd, like, you know. Someone would recognize. Yeah. So these photos are distributed in hopes that the public would come forward with his name. This nameless boy earns some nicknames from the media. One of them is America's Unknown Child, but the most popular at the time and the one that has stuck after all these years is the boy in the box. Right. Right. Yes. I have heard of it, but not nearly as much detail. Mm-hmm. As... Yeah. BuzzFeed Unsolved beat us to it. So, uh, we are BuzzFeed oh, Unsolved's man. biggest competitors. Competitor? Yeah, um, we're better, I'd, I'd say. You know, and I will say that it's a good thing Ryan and Shane left BuzzFeed because now we can catch up to BuzzFeed Unsolved in terms of... Content? Content. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't they have their own show now, though, too? They're on a different network. And... It's still YouTube. It's just their yeah. own channel, right? Yeah. So, like, are we still competing with them, then? Like, is No, it, is they're it cool. The... Okay, they are cool. I would agree. That company's not BuzzFeed, so we don't... We don't compete with them. Right. We just compete with BuzzFeed. Yeah. BuzzFeed... BuzzFeed sucks. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Before we say things that get us in trouble, let's continue. (laughs) Programming on KUR provided in part by the students of Kutztown University Radio. Checking campus headlines, Kutztown University will add men's swimming to its varsity sports roster for the 2024-2025 academic year. The new sport will support the university's strategic enrollment efforts while enhancing the Golden Bears women's swimming roster. Men's swimming will increase KU's varsity intercollegiate programs to 23, including 14 women's programs and 9 men's programs. We check news hourly on KUR. 
So the first clue utilized by police is the box that this boy had been abandoned in. So this box that held a bassinet from J.C. Penny was only one of 12 sold between December 3rd, 1956 and February 16th, 1957. The box was tracked to a store in Upper Darby, Pennsylvania, although the store kept no record of their individual sales. 11 of the bassinets were located by investigators. 11 out of the 12. Mm. The 12th, obviously. The 12th the yeah. No useful fingerprints were found on the box itself. So, that's a little bit of a problem, you yeah. know? Yeah, okay. Next, the blanket that the body had been wrapped in was also examined. It was made from cotton flannel that had been washed recently and mended with cotton thread also recently. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. So even though it was mended, you know, like it tore and they sewed it back together, they cut it into two pieces. Anyway. Yeah, just, just for fun. You know. But why mend the blanket? Uh, if they, if they, you know, like... If they were just not caring at all about this kid, clearly, I mean, they didn't mm. care about him at all. Why mend his blanket? Like, I feel like blankets are something that always hold, like, really significance to children and, like, importance and, like, as a comfort item especially. So it feels so out of character that they would go to mend and, like, re- repair. Oh, well, we don't know that this was his blanket. Well, no. Yeah. Fair. We That's don't know true. that it was his comfort item. Could have just been a random blanket that they had. That but it's still mended. Though. That was old, and so they sewed it back together. Then they ended up cutting it in half anyway. That's fair. Well, not exactly half. The pieces were uneven. Okay. But they cut it in two pieces, and they wrapped them both around the boy. Analysis determines that it had been made in either Swannanoa, North Carolina, or Granby, Granby Quebec. Oh. One of those two places. Is where these exact blankets are made. Made. Yeah. Bought though. Whereas like obviously they're distributed to stores. That's gonna be a little hard to track down. Yeah, I mean if they determine which factory or whatever these blankets are made in, then they can determine what stores these factories send the blankets to. They could just find the ones around Pennsylvania, I guess. I don't know. Well do they? Well, it doesn't say they do that um, because thousands of this exact blanket had been made in these two locations. So police are never able to identify where the specific blanket found had been sold. Makes sense. So that's nothing. Yeah. Dead end. Dead end. The label inside of the blue hat that's found in the lot takes police to Robin's Eagle Hat and Cap Company in Philadelphia. Police question the owner. This owner says that only 12 of this hat had been made. And they know this because these hats were made out of, like, corduroy scraps of material. Oh. So the owner even remembers this specific hat that police bring. That's because it was made, all of these hats are made without the leather strap and the buckle that make this hat very distinct. This hat was brought back in by a man in his late 20s with blonde hair who asked to have the leather strap added. 
According to the shop owner, this man looked similar to the boy in the box. No records had been kept of his name or address. So, they have this lead, again, whether it's true or not, or whether the shop owner is remembering correctly, or whether they don't have a good sense of whether people look alike or not. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, blonde and... It's not a lot to go on, it's just yeah. blonde. Yeah. Blonde and kind of looks like this kid, I guess. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Well... But again, pretty much a dead end, I guess. So more than 10,000 pictures of the boy in the box are sent to police departments throughout surrounding Pennsylvania towns and even into New Jersey. No leads come from this. The Philadelphia Gas Works sends out 200,000 flyers along with their monthly gas bills. The Philadelphia Electric Company, grocery stores, insurance agencies, pharmacists are handing out around 300,000 flyers asking people, do you know who this child is? The FBI circulates an article about the case. Various tips come in. Thousands of tips would come in over the years. Nobody was coming forward with substantial information that could identify the boy in the box. In 1955, two years before the boy in the box was found, two-year-old Stephen Craig Damon was kidnapped from a grocery store in East Meadow, New York. The discovery of the boy in Philadelphia was thought to be Damon because the age and appearance matched. However, Damon had broken his arm before he went missing. This was like prior. The boy in the box did not have signs of a similar fracture, and his footprints did not match Damon's. In 2003, DNA was compared between the boy and Damon's sister, the two did not match at all. So that's proven to be nothing. Five months after the boy in the box is discovered, he is finally buried in Potter's Field, a graveyard in Philadelphia. This cemetery does not have headstones, at least at this point. Detectives take it upon themselves to raise money in order to build a headstone for the boy's grave. The headstone read, Heavenly Father, bless this unknown boy. Oh yeah. my god. And the case stalls here. Oh. At least until November 4th, 1998. Dun, dun. The boy in the box was exhumed from his grave for DNA to be collected. Police announced they were going to compare it with suspected relatives. Now, let's cue our newest segment that I like to call Oh no. They're the police. <laughs> they do this time Uh, it's not really this episode about which okay if you're (laughs) if you're new here listener if you're new you may not know that on pretty much every episode of this show we end up saying they're the police you know as in why did they do this they did it again or why did they not do this yes you know why are the police not doing their jobs in this case? <laughs> Why would just the police? Why? So this episode, it is not so much about something they did, but something they did not do. <laughs> and it was, was something smaller than in other cases. So we can't be as mad at these police as in other episodes. But 
I'm still gonna be that, but following we'll Yeah. <laughs> following this removal of the body and this uh swabbing for DNA, police are silent for a year. No information is published. Finally, after a year, they admit that the DNA they collected was not good for analysis. What? The year after? Yeah. So they collect this DNA. They're like, guys, this is going to be great. We got it. We are. Don't worry, everyone. We're going to announce something soon. Year passes. People are like, hey, what's up? They're like, oh, just wait, just wait, just wait. Year later, um, the DNA didn't work. Yeah, figures. So, that's not so much, uh, I don't think, a thing of them messing up the case. No. As it has been in past episodes. Yeah. But it is something, like, why, Like, just, you know, just... Why hide it? Why not just get a new sample? Why wait an entire year on a case that's already been cold for 40 years? You know, I have a lot of questions for police departments, and one of them is who is training them because they are not doing a good job <laughs> i'm just you know <laughs> i'm just i'm never not shocked never not shocked that's a good way to put it <laughs> so another attempt is made to collect dna from uh, the remains in 2000, 2000. when another they year. yeah this time they checked the boy's teeth they for didn't dna check they used like a different. I don't know. They tried to use different techniques. You gotta exhume a body. Take a couple samples. You know what I mean? I, yeah. You think? <laughs> you right? don't want to have to do it twice. Right? You don't want to have to keep digging up this grave. Uh, that's literally and figuratively yes. speaking. <laughs> but they do. They do indeed. Don't worry though. This attempt also fails. Oh. Ow. But let's get pumped up. What? Because another attempt is made in 2001. <sighs> and this is successful. Uh, what did they take this time? I don't know. I don't know what they found. <laughs> but apparently it was successful. Okay. They got DNA. Successful DNA. Another attempt is made in 2019. For more DNA? For more DNA. To use... What happened? To what? use a different technique, a newer technique that we'll talk about later. Okay. But what happened in this 18 years? They were looking. But they said the other one was successful. They just didn't find anything from it? They found, like, I guess DNA that if they found a child they believed could okay. be the boy in the box, they could compare that. Okay. The other samples weren't... Enough to compare to another sample. Right. Got it. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. In 1999... Philadelphia's Vidoc Society, a group made up of current and past professionals in terms of like investigators, okay. coroners, I was say, what kind of professionals medical examiners, okay. all that kind of stuff. Is it just like a group of people just getting together and solving Yeah, that's, that's literally awesome. what it is. They I get together. That. They're from all these different fields that are related that's to crimes. Right. And they just sit down and they bring in police or investigators or detectives or whatever to can you tell like, them the details of a case. Can you just go and sit on all this? I don't think so because oh, you have man. to be a past or current professional. I will lie. I will, <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I can make a fake resume. That's easy. No one will ever know. The amount of true crime knowledge we got, James, will be fine. We'll oh, yeah. We'll you and me, no, I mean, problem. we have more knowledge than any of these people combined. That's what I'm saying. These cops know nothing. <laughs> We'd be great. <laughs> right. Let's just be private detectives. Yeah. Yeah. But basically, this group is, yes, they bring in detectives who know about a case and the detectives explain the case and all the details and these people try to solve these cold cases right. themselves so one of the members of this group creates a replica like a bust that he believes resembles the boy in the box's father how, how? I don't know he gets it's all this like, information and I dreamt it I've seen the face like, like the... No, I guess he <laughs> takes all the information given and he takes pictures of the boy and he's like, well, logically, genetically speaking, oh, okay. you know? I mean, fair enough. Yeah. So, this bust is shown on the TV show America's Most Wanted. People are like, do you know this man? No one knows this man. Possibly because he doesn't exist. And that's not what the father actually looks like. Yeah. You know? Very possible. So this proves unsuccessful in finding any new leads. Of course. So now let's get into some of the countless theories. Oh my god. Break it out of the page. Let's get into the countless theories that have been created throughout the years in an attempt to answer the question, who is the boy in the box? Dun, dun, dun. In 1961, police become suspicious of Kenneth and Irene Dudley. Kenneth worked with a carnival, meaning their whole family traveled constantly while he worked. They'd move up and down the East Coast mainly, but uh, they were constantly on the Immediately suspicious. <laughs> carnival worker, carnival say less. And that's it. He did it. This is the plot of a Criminal Minds episode. It's terror we have. <laughs> what? You mean to tell me the carnival <laughs> clown killed someone? Shocker. No way. Suspicions rise when their younger daughter died due to neglect, malnutrition, and exposure. Instead of burying their daughter in a cemetery, they wrapped her in a blanket and left her in the woods in Virginia. They have ten known children. Ten? According to records. There might have been more, but this is according to public records. Six of these children died due to malnutrition and neglect. None of them were properly buried. Police begin to believe, hey, we have a child who died and was malnourished and neglected and was not buried properly. This boy in the box was one of these people's children. Don't get your hopes up. What? Dudley couple was questioned. Their movements in 1957 were tracked. Eventually, police determined that the couple was not connected to the boy in the box. What? Okay, but did they arrest them for the rest of the stuff? Because, I mean, six children dying on your account is a little suspicious. I don't think if I was a cop, I'd just be like, yeah, all right. Everything's all normal here. You don't have our guy, so... They're like, oh, you well, you didn't kill this one child. So, guess you're off the hook for the others. Yeah. 
That is so terrible. Please tell me they arrest I don't know that. Oh, I don't no. know that. That's the end that of that. Up. That's I'm, the end of that theory. Know. There's no way. They just. Um, I can actually just Google it right now. <sighs> Kenneth and Irene Dudley. I hope you're in prison. I how could I mean <laughs> if we know that they were torturing their children okay. and neglecting them. Kenneth Dudley, who tried to pin the blame for all the deaths on his wife, was convicted of manslaughter in the death of Carol Ann, which was the daughter daughter. that they found. And he was sentenced to 20 years in the Virginia State Penitentiary with Irene. He tried to blame it on her. (laughs) She was kind of, you know, people argued that she was abused by her husband and not, therefore not fully responsible Hmm. for the deaths. She's sentenced to 10 years. I don't know. I feel like after the first kid died, I'd be like, maybe I should leave this guy. You know, I don't... That's according to dalebrumfield.medium.com. Ah, thank you, Dale. Yeah. So. Contribution means everything to us. (laughs) (laughs) It is truly unmatched. (laughs) Truly. In our research. Yes. That is the pinnacle of our research, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I have it scribbled down. (laughs) Thank you, Dale. Thank you, Dale. Moving on. (laughs) Fingerprint expert Bill Kelly comes up with a theory that the boy was a Hungarian refugee. One of the many who came to America in the 50s. He had seen a newspaper article in 1956, this was before the boy in the box was found, about immigrants from Hungary. After later seeing a picture of the boy in the box, he noticed that one of the immigrant children in the article looked incredibly similar to the boy. This could explain why police could not find the boy's name because there weren't records of him due to his status as a recent immigrant. Oh, this sounds promising. It's not. No, because man. the boy that Kelly had seen in the article and believed to be the boy in the box was later located, and he was alive and well with family in North Carolina, grown up. Well, so at least he's living his good old life in North Carolina. Yeah, imagine like getting a <laughs> getting a phone call from a friend and being like, "Hey, someone thinks you're the this kid that was killed." Are you are you the kid that? <laughs> 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 like, if they just knocked on your door and were like, "Have you been dead for like fifty years? <laughs> what are you hiding from us?" Another theory: okay. forensic artist and member of the Vidoc, Vidoc Society, Frank Bender, came up with this theory that the boy in the box had been raised as a girl. According to him, the child's hair was cut to hide this fact. So it was long before because the boy was made to look like a girl. Okay. Supposedly, pictures of him show evidence that his eyebrows had been plucked to make him appear more feminine. Bender sketched how he believed the boy would look with long hair and bangs in hopes that someone would recognize the child if he was sketched as a girl instead of a boy. This never produced any new leads. They're just trying anything. Right. They're just like, let's, let's sketch them with thick eyebrows. Let's see <laughs> if anyone notices. Let's sketch him oh. with some makeup on, you know? <laughs> give, him, give him some fuller cheeks this time. <laughs> <laughs> That's so sad. Yeah. 
So Ugh. there are all these theories. There are countless others other Give than that. Give me something promising here. There are two theories that have persisted as the leading theories okay. in the case. Bruising hope over here. Yeah. Brian Zelmer, Kutztown University's director of KU Presents, is now hosting a new podcast airing every Wednesday. Titled There's No Business Like, this podcast explores topics and discussions with leaders of the professional theatrical touring industry. Zelmer and his co-hosts will discuss a variety of arts-related topics and will have a special guest industry leader each week to spotlight the diversity and culture within this field. They will also bring unique perspectives to the podcast to promote the wonders that this industry has to offer. New episodes of There's No Business Like are released every Wednesday on many popular platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and Amazon Music. For more information, please visit their website at www.nobusinesslike.com. Once again, that's www.nobusinesslike.com. The first theory involves a foster home about a mile from the abandoned lot where the boy in the box was found. In 1960, a psychic was contacted by Remington Bristow, a man who followed the case until his death decades later. This psychic told him to search for a house resembling a foster home, and when she came to Philadelphia, she led the way directly to this nearby foster home. Obsessing over this house and its supposed connection to the mystery, he attended an estate sale there years later after the owners moved out, finding a bassinet similar to the one that was once in the box from JCPenney. There were also blankets hanging on a clothesline that looked like the one that was wrapped around the body. Bristow theorized that the boy in the box was the child of the foster home owner's stepdaughter. He believed that the man had a sexual relationship with his stepdaughter, got her pregnant, then hid the boy away to protect himself from scrutiny. When the boy died in an accident, most likely either falling out of a window or drowning, the man subtly got rid of the body so nobody would find out that his stepdaughter was an unmarried mother. Because it's the okay. 50s, that's, that's not a good look, you know? No. But... The death was blood force trauma. Right. So he's like, oh, maybe he fell out a window. I feel like if he fell out a window, he would have a little bit different injuries, though, right? Mm. Like, he had very specific scars all over him. Like, the L-shaped one on his chin. Right, those weren't necessarily from no, the death. They were just, like, identifying marks. Still odd. Yeah. So... Investigators could not find any links to the family who owned the foster home and the boy in the box, besides a bunch of circumstantial evidence. The man and his stepdaughter were interviewed in 1998. Oddly enough, by this point, the man had married his stepdaughter. So that's cool. Police learned that the woman did have a son die on accident in 1957. Morgue records pretty much proved that this son was not the boy in the box, however. This theory was officially ruled untrue after a DNA test confirmed the stepdaughter was not the mother of the boy in the box. Okay. But what was the accident? How did their kid die? Mm, I don't know. I don't know. Repeated? 
What if he was Batman once? Bad. <laughs> We're like, I don't know, maybe he fell out of a window and walked to the woods. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. That's my theory. Yeah. <laughs> Our second substantial theory involves a woman identified in the case only as M. Like the initial M. She claimed that her mother was abusive and bought the boy who was later found in the abandoned lot. She said the boy's name was Jonathan and that her mother severely abused him for years. The mother then supposedly killed the boy after he upset her, cut his hair, and disposed of the body. Allegedly, this woman, M, went with her mother to help dispose of the body. While they're dumping the body, a man pulls over in his car. He's driving by. He pulls over because he sees him pulling something big out of their trunk. And he asks if they need help getting whatever it is out of their trunk. That's always happens in, like, spooky horror movies. Right. And this woman, M, is like, yeah, this happened. And we just, like, stood there and ignored him. And eventually he gets in his car and he drives away. In 1957 around the time of the boy in the box when everyone's sending in weird tips a man did give a tip to police that he had stopped in that area to ask someone if they needed help pulling something out of their trunk so this claim is like substantiated yeah however no this woman m apparently has a history of mental illness that makes police uncertain about her claims Neighbors of M's family at the time who were questioned denied a young boy ever living there and denied M's theory. How would they know if they're not in the house? Right. Well, there were also, like, friends and family members who had access to the house. Okay. They didn't live there, but they had, like, keys that's, or whatever. That's and they not say, to say they couldn't have hidden him. Right. But everyone that was in and around the house says, no, there was no young boy ever living there police have never found promising evidence to confirm her claims do they ever search their place like i guess you said they he went the guy went to the estate sale so i guess they didn't live there well that was the foster home oh that was the, that was the other theory right. oh right okay police so never they, find anything they never searched or did they search i don't know but they never find anything the police man they're the police they're the police i'm sure they did what they could right Surely. Don't worry though. And I'm get, losing hope here. No, start getting pumped up. Um, because I'm we finally. Don't worry. Don't worry. Get pumped up. Right now. <laughs> Woohoo! Half the case has been solved. Okay. Because new information was just released. The boy in the box ah. has been identified. Okay, get pumped it? up. Get pumped. Get, get pumped, pumped up. Get pumped. Okay. On December 8th, 2022. December 8th. Police announced that successful DNA testing confirmed the boy's identi- identity as Joseph Augustus Zarelli of West Philadelphia. Danielle Outlaw, the Philadelphia Police Commissioner, said, quote, his entire identity and his rightful claim to his own to own his existence was taken away. Names of living suspects have been found, but have not been announced to the public. 
Okay. Outlaw says it would be irresponsible of them to share these names of living suspects. But there are living suspects. Okay. Who is it dangerous for? The suspects? Not dangerous, just irresponsible. Oh. They don't want to, you know, they don't want to ruin the case. Right, Or the right. investigation. I mean, with the amount of people that, you know, like us, are interested in solving the case, I can just imagine. Yeah. Like, scrolling through TikTok and you just see somebody knocking on one of the suspects' door and it's just the person recording. They're like, where were you the night of so-and-so? <laughs> Someone making a YouTube documentary. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Except it's all on TikTok. And it's all on those oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Episode 53 of <laughs> this TikTok series. Yes. It has been confirmed, although these living suspects have not been identified to the public, that criminal charges could still be filed if one of these suspects is proven responsible. Yay. Okay. Good. So... Genetic genealogy was used to finally name the boy in the box. This is a newer technique started in around 2017, 2018. That's why they exhumed the body again in 2019 for more Uh, DNA. Because they had this new method. It has been used to solve other cold cases in recent years, including the recently solved Golden State Killer case. Have you heard of that one? I have heard of that one. Yep. They named that killer in... Past two years, I believe. Yeah, I wasn't too bad. Yeah. Um, Philadelphia police currently have over a dozen other cases in progress that they're using this technology to solve. Good. They're doing something. Hey. Look at them. Only took them 50 years. Who would have thought? Sorry. 70. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, math, you know. (laughs) I'm really bad (laughs) at it. So the boy's DNA was uploaded to genetic databases that helped investigators connect him to relatives on his mother's side of the family. Birth records eventually helped them to find Zarelli's father. Okay. It was discovered that Zarelli had three siblings. Joseph Augustus Zarelli, the boy in the box, was born on January 13, 1953, meaning that he was four years old at the time of his death like the chief medical examiner thought yeah go ahead where what his family didn't say anything they didn't like was he reported missing at all like just his family were just like ah have you seen joseph in a while no i think he was going out to get milk and never came back (laughs) i'd assume (laughs) you know what now that he's been named and they've found relatives they're looking at the relatives okay i would hope so because that is because so suspicious. why else would your four-year-old wander off and no one worry no about one it? No notice or worry or tell anybody. And also, they lived in Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. Like, the center of this media storm. So why were they not seeing pictures of this boy being like, that's not just Joseph. That, but if they notice their kid's missing and they live in Philadelphia, you'd think they'd be concerned. That's a big city. You'd think? Or maybe that woman M's claims were true, and they did sell Joseph to her mother. Oh. And she just got the names mixed up. She was like, oh, I think his name was Jonathan. Maybe, so maybe cool. she what, mixed what it up with Joseph. She I don't you know? know. I don't know. Oh, man. Anyway. That's so possible. I need to draw your arms. Hold on. <laughs> right. As of now. As of now. 
Just like information about living suspects, police are not sharing any more information. Names of his parents have not been announced, but the parents are both deceased. Oh, okay. But the boy does still have living siblings. That's why they're not sharing any okay, of his relatives' names. That makes sense. So yeah. The parents are the ones that did it. And there's no, right. nothing they can do. Yeah. And investigators have stated, like, at this point, anyone who was old enough to remember, like understand what was happening at the time is probably dead so the kids could have been alive but they could have been really young yeah police did confirm that the case is still an active investigation an announcement from the police force asked people to call in any information they may have after the release of the boy's name a twenty thousand dollar reward is promised for information that leads to the arrest and conviction of a suspect Danielle Outlaw stated, quote, This announcement only closes one chapter in this little boy's story while opening up a new one. End quote. And there we are. Alright. We have well, reached the end. Time for me to research everything about these. I'm gonna find his parents. I'll find out the name. We've got the last name, though. What else do you need? Last yeah, name and the Honestly, you they're can like find they're like, we're not releasing his relatives like, names come on. there are people who can find we'll any information they want guess at what age they were i mean we have abby here in kur who can find pictures of oh. any person <laughs> you want on the internet <laughs> abby she's got she's got some interesting hobbies but she's abby's skilled. abby's an she's internet skilled. sleuth she's, she's internet skilled sleuth. and i'm sure she's not the best internet sleuth in the world no you but know we get a team of them right a right team, a whole team of abby's that's what I'm saying, is there are people who are way more talented at this than Abby, and Abby's pretty good. We put them all in a room together? And these police that- are like, let's release the boy's name. Mm, we're not sharing his relatives' names. People like, are going to find them. Come on. People it's are going to find them. It's not that hard. And today... And you know what? I'm taken to Reddit. I'm not closing my Reddit tab until someone posts those relatives' names. Okay, James. I I support you in that endeavor. (laughs) What did you post on Reddit? I didn't post anything on Reddit. I'm just going to wait. I'm going to sit. I'm going to go to the boy in the box forum because I'm sure there is one. Oh, 100%. And I'm just going to sit and I'm going to wait. All winter break. Yeah, it might not come winter break, though. Probably until after New Year. Oh, I'm sure. You know, I'm sure it won't take long. I'm sure... They're the police. I'm sure Reddit... (laughs) I'm sure Reddit is a hellstorm right now. Let me go right now. Reddit... All right, let's see it. Boy in the box. Boy in the box. All righty. Oh, boy in the box. Seven days ago. Seven days. See, here's this person. Actually, six days ago. Pardon me. Excuse you. I quote this Reddit post. Okay. I started looking around in hopes of finding who the parents could possibly be. There you go. Boom. People are looking. Boom. They're looking. So far, just looking at family search, there appears to be a Zarelli family from Italy that landed in Washington State and had several children. 
The boy, Joseph Augustus Zarelli, was found beaten in a box in 1957 in Pennsylvania. I have not found any of the Washington Zarellis had any connection to Pennsylvania yet. Um, the Italian immigrant was named Angelo Joseph Zarelli, and there was a son named Joseph Peter. Okay, there's some there's some possibility there. Little hand-me-down name, you know. There's some potential, I feel like, but this just proves the point. See, this you know, is what humans I'm. Humans are innately curious creatures. You cannot stop them. You give them a little right. breadcrumb, they're soaring, baby. You know, <laughs> we're flying real high. Us and our buddies on Reddit are gonna solve this <laughs> case. We're gonna solve it. We're gonna do it. Someone else commented on this post. They watched the press conference that morning with the police announcing yeah. the name. They spent half an hour looking through the 1950 census and newspapers searching for the name. Makes sense. That's what I'm talking about. The census. The police are like, oh, no one's going to find their family. Yes, yes they, they are. Yes, they will. People know how to look online for things. I tracked my family history back to the 800s. Right. Exactly. Yeah, my mom possible. did that with our family. Yeah. Turns out I'm related to Julius Caesar. Somehow, mm. some way, a very, very long way back. I'm related to someone who signed the Declaration of Independence. Ooh, who? I don't remember his name. Well. But it's on there. I'll ask my mom and I'll let you know. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to find the forum. The point is. The point is. That I'm trying to get to here is. Thank God we found this boy's name. Right? Yes. Good. Is found it? an article about cemetery workers. He was buried in Potter's Field in Philadelphia, that small cemetery, but then he was moved later to Ivy Hill Cemetery, I believe, in Mount Airy, PA. Okay. And the cemetery workers were very emotional when the name was announced. They said they've been watching over this unknown little boy for years, like they've been taking yeah. care of his grave for years. That's so nice. And now they're like, oh, his gravestone's finally going to say Joseph. You know? That's so sad. So. There's so many theories in this forum, too. There's a lot of theories. And more to come. I'm sure. Is it boy in the box or the boy in the box? Either one. Well, there's two different forums. Well, I'm on r slash genealogy. (laughs) Okay, that's not the same thing I was talking (laughs) Um, anyway. Anywho. So that is the story of the boy in the box. Up until now. I'm sure there will be later developments. Yeah. Now that his name has been announced. And we'll be back with a part two, I guess, when that happens. Yeah. We gotta. We gotta report back with all our Reddit research. and. (laughs) I'm gonna text you every day over the break and be like, new Reddit update. There's a new one. Go look at it. Perfect. Yeah. Um, It'll be great. It'll be great. KUR True Crime is a student-produced show that researches multiple sources and is a production of Kutztown University Radio. Any theories presented are only theories and have not been proven as 100% factual. You can follow KUR True Crime on both Facebook and Instagram, and you can find all of our previous episodes on Spotify by searching Kutztown University Radio. You can also follow Kutztown University Radio on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. 
Join us next time for another installment of KUR True Crime.